<laughs> well, welcome. Welcome to Break Some Dishes, Jason. <laughs> Are you ready to break some dishes? Yeah, I'm always ready to break dishes. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably the, the epitome of, of dish breaker for sure. Uh, nice to meet you. I'm 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 a huge fan. <laughs> nice to meet you too. What do you know about our podcast? Well, a little bit. I, I John told me about it, and I I did some peeking. So, but okay, you know, I'm anxious to learn more about it. <laughs> awesome, Jason. The beauty is in the is in the spontaneity. So yeah, it's you know, but it's funny because look, we were both holding up oh, yeah, book, our books, right? So I've oh. got transformational thought. And we I love that we both have our little tabs. Oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah. that's you have cool. fans here, man. You have yeah. fans. Well, Jason and I have known each other for, for a while now. So uh, I'm really excited to have you on Break Some Dishes because we're going to have a problem today because there is not going to be enough time for us to to talk about everything we'd love to talk about with you because your history uh, is so rich. And like Verta said, you are a natural breaker of dishes, but I know Verta wants to talk to you about, about design and, and where you think that's going. And I want to start things out with one really interesting question, Jason. Um, I'm jumping into it here right off the bat. I'm not even giving you time to get warmed up. Oh God. but um, I read your book a while ago, and in preparing to talk with you today, I, I brought it back out, and I was going through it. And I just want to say, first of all, you were way ahead of your time in a lot of things that you said in this book as I was reading it. But you say something interesting here. Uh, you say we have a silo problem, and you say, I get tired of hearing people say it's all about climate change, and then proceed to look only for solutions that reduce carbon emissions as if nothing else matters. Um, and I think that's really interesting because Verda and I are probably guilty of doing just that. Like we have started to learn about embodied carbon and, you know, everybody's talking about carbon because that seems to be this urgent crisis that if we don't fix it, we're in a lot of trouble. What are your thoughts on that today? Well, it's certainly... Uh, John, it certainly is uh, an, an urgent crisis. The problem is we have multiple crises that are urgent, and and we don't have the um, the ability to just solve one at a time in sequence. You know that's the challenge right now is that humanity has to be addressing multiple issues simultaneously, um, and you know not only climate change. Yes, climate change. Uh, but also the the incredible loss of biodiversity on the planet, for example, uh, is a huge issue. Uh, the loss of uh, of of habitat um, that could bring our demise as well. Uh, and of course, these are interrelated issues. Uh, climate change and habitat loss are interconnected. Uh, but then there's also the rise of persistent toxic chemicals, uh, whether it and and plastics and 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 you know a host of other issues. Um, and these have to be dealt with. We need to find nested solutions, as I call it, that simultaneously solve multiple big issues. And that's uh, it's a design problem. That's what design, good design, is always trying to solve multiple things, uh, not not solving in isolation. And I think as I was writing about in, in the um, article that you mentioned, it was really this, this issue that, um, you know, we can, you know, we can solve things, multiple things at the same time. Um, we can do that. 
we have to do that. Yeah. yeah we can assign priorities, right? We can, we can, we can try to organize maybe a little bit, but I, I guess you're right about that. Like you can get so fixated and so focused on, on carbon that we forget about all these other issues that you just, that yeah. you just laid out for us. And sometimes we, if we're, if we're not looking holistically, we think we're solving for one thing and we're creating a problem in some other area that, that then undermines the work that we're doing. So that's yeah, yeah. Part of it is at our peril. You know, if we look too myopically at one issue, as big as it is, um, there's danger in that. Verda, what do you think? We're yeah. five minutes into our conversation, and now we're acknowledging it's a design problem. I know that's that's in, yeah, it's interesting. And I, and I I heard recently that just tackling the, a circular economy is also it starts with design. It's all if if design is an integral part, then it's not it's not going to happen. But yeah, I, it's it's. You're actually already um, blowing my mind and making me rethink. I've been, I've had this uh, action, climate action goal for the last year for my firm. And now, and I mean, thinking in climate action, but also I I call it climate justice because I know it's intertwined with social justice. But, but now I'm thinking, you know, I, I, maybe I do need to make it a bit of a broader goal and not just, I mean, and I, I, I keep thinking, well, climate, well, climate affects toxicity and chemicals. And, and if you just fix the climate, maybe you fix everything, but, but nope, you've blown my mind. (laughs) You made me rethink. We have to to get comfortable holding a lot of things uh, together at the same time, which can seem daunting when each, when each, when each of the problems are by themselves, huge. You know, it's it's daunting, but it is what we have to do. Right. Well, and that's what, you know, we were on um, a podcast the other day. And one of the questions that was asked of us was, if you're going to break it down into something simple, what's, you know, what would you focus on? Like, what's the one thing you would want people to focus on? And I think that's what we try to do is we try to, this is a huge problem. Let's save the, let's save the planet. Uh, You know, when you put it that way, it's overwhelming to anybody. So we typically, it's that analogy or that metaphor, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And so yeah, that's, that's human nature is to break it apart. Right? Well, and I think there's a difference between, I think, I think there's a difference between holding all these things in your, uh, in your mind and trying to solve for them, but also recognizing that every person, whether they're a designer or not, has a certain amount of agency. There's certain things that you can change, you can affect based upon who you are and what you do. And and so certainly for some people, they might it might be the best thing for them to focus on a particular issue. It's just important that as a society, as an industry, we don't lose sight of all these issues. And so that's one way of, of eating the elephant one bite at a time as well as really thinking through what what are my impacts what can i affect and and that creates its own hierarchy of action at least um that is very helpful i think that's exactly right we're actually my firm o plus a we are working on something we call, we're calling an eco playbook and in some cases it's very rudimentary and there's other other things out there that, that are much more in depth and well researched, but it's very focused on our practice, workplace interiors, and we're, we're we're touching on materials, we're touching on social issues, and but we're finding that um, a lot of it 
it's like you said, it's about agency, what we can affect, but it's also about passion. And I, certain members on the team, there's one person who's really passionate about biophilic, biophilic design. There's another person who studied joinery and is really interested in minim, design minimalism yep, and this sure. idea of uh, reversible design or design for disassembly. And so it's so it's it's taking on its own flavor, which I find really interesting. And, and I think that's so true. We can we we have to focus on what we're passionate about and what we have the most agency to affect. Yeah, no, I like that. I agree. Yeah. And I think we, a lot of times we don't realize, Jason, you know, one of the things that you say in your book is that movements go through stages of growth, right? And I think that we don't realize that when you start your movement, Verda, at your firm, you've started a movement and you're in a particular stage. Jason, you started a movement, you know, back when I think you were with Cascadia and that's when you really started the International Living Futures Institute. Am I right? Yeah, Cascadia came before ILFI. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I I left my uh, previous practice, uh, BNIM Architects. Um, I was a principal there, and left that practice, and then joined Cascadia, which was a small uh, green building organization. Um, and I left. I joined this organization to really break a lot of dishes, <laughs> to put a lot of ideas out in the world and way ahead of your time out of that came you know the need for the living future institute which which is certainly doing great things all over the world now well uh, yeah and you gift and you gifted you created it and then you gifted it to cascadia yeah which gifted is yeah i created a lot of um intellectual property and i gave it to the nonprofit um and with with the intention of yeah trying to um help the world in some way and yeah and, and sometimes in terms of platforms or agency uh some things are best held by by everyone and a non a not-for-profit belongs to us all is the way i look at it it uh, doesn't there aren't profits that accrue to me or to uh to uh, you know a private corporation or anything like that it's really about saying the you know this is all about creating change doing social good and that needs to be for all um, and that was why I brought the IP to a nonprofit and spent 10 years of my life pushing uh, that as the CEO of those organizations before I went back to the private sector. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now you're back in the private sector. And oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. And ILFI is just, it's, it's a beacon for us. The, the, the platforms that you've created, the Living Product Challenge, the Living Building Challenge, the Living Community Challenge, the Biophilic Design Initiative, and all the labels, right? The Just Organ- Organization label and the Declare label. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're incredible uh, resources for the industry. And um, thank you. <laughs> thank you for, 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 from everyone at O plus A and, and, and my industry. Um, but I'd love to hear, so you've stepped down, you, you, you did it and now you're back in private practice. What do you, what do you hope to do in private practice? Well, I'm ha- first of all, I'm having a lot of fun. Um, so, and I'm still, um, you know, connected to ILFI. I'm, I'm on the board, but which is, means I'm a volunteer. Um, <laughs> uh, so trying to, you know, cheer on the staff, uh, and help the organization in a different way. Um, and, uh, yeah, but now I'm, I'm back in practice, been back in practice now for several years, um, doing this kind of work, um, doing living buildings, doing living products, 
living communities, as you say, using the, the labels. So it's, it was really important for me to get back into the, you know, the doing of things again. Um, I spent a decade helping to, um, set standards and create, um, a rallying cry, if you will, for where the industry needed to head and felt like my job was done there. Not that the job is done, but my job there was done. And, uh, and then it was about, let's get, you know, let's get back to, to making the change, um, on projects. And so, yeah, we're working on all kinds of things now. That's, you must be having a great time to trying to taking what you've done with ILFI and then putting it into practice and, and playing with yeah. where that Oh. Sometimes I, it's like sometimes I curse the standards that I create. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talk about walking the walk, you know. You're not talking the talk anymore. Now you're walking the walk. So yeah, if you curse the standard, it's uh, it's ironic. Yeah. You have to see constraints as opportunities. That's what Absolutely. I say. Yeah, it's like, who wrote this? Is hard. <laughs> <laughs> so now, hey, okay. no, go ahead, Verda. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to change the subject to the. I wanted to see if the school is still happening, but we can we can. Do you want to go there, John, or do you want to yeah, ask your question? A, sure, it's a oh. slow burn. You know, the school is uh, is an idea. It's a vision I have, um, but it's slow. It's a slow burn. We focus. That's the school of regenerative design, right? Yeah, that's and it, it sounds yeah. it sounds like a great way to take what you've done at ILFI and then and then get future generations to well, tell us about the concept. And, yeah. Please. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. Uh, and I, it's not, it hasn't really begun yet, but I put it out there as an, an intention. Sometimes that's an important thing to do in the world is put an intention out there. And I think, I think what I realize is I'm, I'm, uh, I'm waiting for a few more gray hairs. I already have quite a few, but I'm, I'm, I'm still gaining more sort of like, I think we all go through chapters and, um, the idea with the school is really saying, you know, we need more people that know how to do this stuff on a deep level. And there's more and more interest in regenerative design, in deep green design. And, and so we need to make sure to arm those people um, with the best knowledge uh, and leap, help people leapfrog you know, for their design process and the way they think so that they can better serve their clients uh, in this new reality. And that was really the idea behind it. Uh, and, uh, you know, right now, to be honest, my the work of the firm has, has been so all encompassing, um, doing, doing this work, uh, that, um, that I haven't had the, the energy and resources to devote, uh, to the school, but it's still, it's one of those things that I, I think is going to be part of the, my next chapter, um, when it's time. Yeah. I can't believe you haven't found more time because, you know, you're designing product, you're making buildings and obviously creating schools. And I mean, I don't know what the hell else. (laughs) So many things. Yeah. But I, I find this is the first thing I found is that we just, there's so much we don't know and need to learn in order to implement all of this stuff. And mm. so, how, how did you, how did you, you designed some really successful uh, flooring product for Mohawk a couple of years ago. It was the Lichen series yep. and it's, it's beautiful, but take us through that process a little bit. How do you, um, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you marry the aesthetics of good product design with your core values, which is all about material transparency and, 
Yeah, well, we're always, of course, looking for great partners, and I, I definitely have had a great partnership with Mohawk. Um, not only the lichen collection, but the the owl collection that I, I followed up uh, with um, more recently. Uh, and, you know, I think for me, uh, good design and beauty it has to be integral to the success of this work. Um, we're not successful if our green buildings are ugly, if our products aren't things people actually want in their projects. So, uh, so you know, this for me, this, you know, designing something that is lovely um, is a part of the sustainability story. People tend to take care of the things that they love. They use them longer. They become the next antiques or the things they pass down. And, you know, so that's just part of the ethos and, and spirit of this. Um, in terms of the carpet, it was really, you know, Mohawk was on this journey of their own to do living products and had been had been going through the process of looking at, um, you know, what's in their carpet and how do they make it, etc. And um, they invited me, as you know, um, to help them design um, this first living product carpet line, which was the was the lichen collection and um, you know, the, they asked me to design something and I came back to them and said, well, how about lichen? <laughs> and I, cause I always thought that lichen was nature's carpet. It, you know, yeah. it was, you know, I grew up in a place that didn't have a lot of trees when I was growing up, but what it did have was lichen that, and moss that grew on rocks. And, um, so that was the inspiration going back to my childhood, um, and saying like, this is really important from an ecosystem perspective, this is a really important, you know, species, uh, and people need to know about it. It's one of those unsung heroes of the world. And so my goal there was to sort of introduce the world to the amazing world of lichen. <laughs> and I think it, it did do that. It did do that for a lot of people. It certainly got a lot of attention mm -hmm. in the flooring world. Um, and uh, it did. Yeah. yeah. Won a Neocon award, I think, the year you introduced it. So, it did. yeah, kind of hit the ground running there. It was lovely. Well, as an architect, I think it's interesting that you talk about um, material transparency so vociferously, right? Um, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about. I mean, you developed the Red List, which I think it's appalling that the re so the Red List for anybody who doesn't know is a list of toxic uh, chemicals that we use every day, basically. And I think it blows my mind that I think as of 2014, it was over 800 chemicals that are on this red list. And, you know, I think we all assume the EPA is protecting us from stuff like that, but it's really not the case, is it? Not to the extent that it should be, no. Um, there's all sorts of new chemicals that are introduced uh, all the time. Uh, and we don't as a society, and this is really societal, it's global. We don't take a precautionary approach. You know, the precautionary principle is such that, um, basically we should like make sure something is safe before we put it out in the world rather than putting it out in the world and hope that it's safe and have to, you know, the, the burden of proof on, on safety then becomes, you know, of this long arduous process. And that isn't mm -hmm. right. And so we've been, and mostly, the burden has fallen on the planet, on 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 the environment, and also on the poor. Um, most of the burdens of the of these chemicals um, have fallen onto those that don't even buy the products that the chemicals are found within, uh, which is you know completely immoral. Um, yeah. And so you know when you're talking about something, when you're talking about chemicals that 
that at some point in their life cycle have no real safe exposure levels uh, or very, very low exposure levels that are safe, we need to just get rid of them. And we need to say no to these things. And that was the idea that at some point you have to draw a line in the sand and say, you know, we have to, you know, we can't allow these things in our, in our life. And there is no, there is no government agency that's really doing that holistically and deeply enough. Um, there are certainly things that are regulated and as they should be. Um, but it's a pretty loop, you know, it's not, it's not firm enough. Um, so, mm-hmm. so we stepped in to try to at least educate people and shine a light on these issues and help, you know, and I think we really did. I, th- I would say that out of everything that we've done with, uh, with ILFI, it, I think the red list is, has proven to be one of the biggest, um, change agents in our industry. You know, I, I show up in different mm-hmm. countries and hear different mm-hmm. manufacturers talking about our red list. Red and list. it's like, Oh, this is, yeah. you know, this has really made an impact. Not that it's perfect. Um, but uh, it really has led to less, you know, carcinogens in the, in the world because of this list. Um, yeah. You know? And, yeah. And you talk, you talk about safe exposures and minimal exposures, but there's also, uh, these chemicals that have multiple exposures, you know, people get exposed when they dig it up, people get exposed when they install it, people get in- exposed when they use it. Um, and so you actually just said, you mentioned that, you know, it's a social condition or it's a social issue. Verda, we've talked about this. We've said environmental responsibility is social responsibility. And you think about these fence line communities that abut oil refineries, yep. and it, it is, it's a burden of the poor. And you mentioned in your book, so I want to really talk about it. You mentioned social justice in your book, and you also mentioned diversity in the movement. And I'd like to hear you talk about that a little bit because, man, talk about <laughs> ahead of your time, you were talking about the fact that we need diversity Absolutely. back when you wrote you know, transformational thought. Yeah. Well, I would, I was, I, I thought it was just obvious when I wrote it, <laughs> but uh, it's only now, as you say, that enough people are waking up that diversity is, is not charity. Diversity makes us stronger. It makes us better. This isn't a scarcity issue where, oh, we have to do this to be, you know, inclusive, which yeah, yes, but it's actually like, it's at, it's at our societal loss that we haven't been diverse. We've all been impoverished as a as a as a people by holding other people down. Like yeah. it's actually the opposite. That's the that's the way that this all needs to be framed. The fact that we didn't have good representation of minorities in government and positions of power has been to our loss, all of our loss. We are diminished because they have been. And and that's something that we need to change. And um yeah, I'm glad that finally, you know, these issues um, are starting to, you know, it's really that it's like trying to get through to white America, frankly, that these issues are are critical to look at. But it's certainly something that other communities have been, you know, unfairly aware of for a long time, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, very true. Well, I would love to bring it back, if you don't mind, to interior design. So I, and and, and like you were just saying, it's it's a snowball effect. It's sometimes it takes just time for these movements and these ideas to to take hold. And I really woke up a little over a year ago, and I wrote a and I was looking at AIA and and your organization ILFI, and 
just the AIA had actually made a statement. It's better not to build. And I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, this that's their livelihood. And they're, they're making that claim. And, and then I looked at our, in our industry, ASID, IADA and um, our organizations. And there were, was very little about, about, climate change or all of all of these crises that we're de- we're facing and so I wrote an article for fast company that it's past time for interior designers to make climate commitments and I'm tr- I'm working on trying to figure out a way to to have an interior design specific pledge or commitment out there and I'm not sure how what form that even if it's just our own our own pledge but what do you think is Oh, and and I don't know if you've read Metropolis's issue, November December issue, where Avi really Avi is um, really passionate about all of these all of these um, crises and talks a lot about them in his magazine. And he uncovered the fact that interior design uh, might have a bigger impact on the on global emissions than than architecture itself. Um, because of the churn and the turnover with the real estate, you know, the leases and all that, especially in our own industry. Why do you think interior design has just been a little behind everyone else, landscape architects and other industries? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not so sure, you, you know, I would beat up the interior design industry as being behind <laughs> other, myself <laughs> yeah, I, you know, cause I feel like the interior design industry has been uh, a leader in a lot of material issues. Um, True. and the manufacturers of interior products have been um, amongst the leaders pushing sustainability in product design. Um, you know, I, so I would, so I'll just say that now, is it enough? No, of course, because all the, all of our industries, um, um, you know, are behind where we need to be. Um, but uh, I think that in general, um, people, uh, you know, people try to focus on, again, what they think they can affect. And, and you know, the, ener- the energy use of a building uh, hasn't, you know, been in the purview of the interior design community as much. So it's not been one of the things they focused on. Oh, we're leaving that to the mechanical engineer and the architect. And site issues, well, that's for the landscape architect to worry about. So we don't need to worry about that. And and again, we all need to be thinking about all these issues, uh, but then, you know, changing what we can. Um, yeah, and they've had to, interior designers have kind of had to wait for the manufacturing community to really get caught up and start reporting. Yeah, The kind of metrics and data, right? So just yeah. tell us real Even quickly, if- like, yeah, Sorry. go ahead. Even if we demand it, you know, it's, it, it, yeah, you're right. It takes the manufacturers to catch up, but it's not just about materials, right? It's, I mean, we're, we're building systems just like architects, but I do think it has something to do with the client, right? If the client isn't asking for it, then like you said, you have to pick your battles and, and we can only do so much. And maybe now is the time. And I do feel like it's going to be a snowball effect coming, coming up here very quickly because I think clients are starting to, really demand a, diff- a whole different type of space that addresses all of these. Do you, do you hear that Jason from designers that they have to, you know, you have to pick your battles and sometimes you have to do what your client is asking you to do. 
Well, I, yeah, I, I do hear that. And, and that is that that's always the challenge is how far ahead of your client can you be? Um, I, um, have drawn a pretty hard line in, in terms of who I'll, who I'll work with. You know, I, people, people don't tend to come to me for, for, for an inefficient design. <laughs> I know that's a bit of a luxury I now have that yeah. clients tend to self-identify. Um, but I, I think, you know, on one hand, we can't let our clients limit what the good work that we do. We can't use that as a crutch. And on the other hand, it is, it is a true issue that one has to navigate. Uh, so that's just part of the challenge of being in the design field is that you have to bring your clients along. You have to educate them. You have to push them where you can. You also have to realize you don't win every battle and it is a continuum, but unless people are willing to, to put themselves out there, unless they're willing to make like a pledge, like you're saying to make vocal your passions, then things don't change. Um, you know? So, so that's really required is that we, as a design profession, we have to lead on these issues. We have to communicate on these issues and we have to demonstrate and, and then, you know, and we don't, you don't need to beat yourself up on the past things that you didn't get to do. You know, you just need to keep making the next one better. You need to keep influencing the, in the ways that you can influence. Oh, can you hear me? Yep. Can't hear Verda. Oh, <laughs> oh. we lost your audio. Oh, oh there you're, you're back. Sorry. Thank you. That was great. John, you were going to ask a question. I, 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 so I was, you know, going back to this whole concept of, of materials and, you know, what goes into the spaces and, and we were talking a little bit about the red list. I think it's, you know, you created this declare label which to oversimplify it is a nutritional label for products. What in the hell inspired you to do something like that? Because prior to the declare label, there, there was never any kind of a product label that would tell the user what's in the product. Right. And I think it's because we're not eating the product. We feel like we, did, we shouldn't have to care. Right. I'm not eating this table. Why do I care if it's got toxic ingredients in it? Well, what yeah. inspired you to, to, to take on that kind of a task? Well, the epiphany was quite simple. It came from walking down the aisles of a grocery store, you know, and saying, why do <laughs> I, why, you know, why can I look at the ingredients and in all these, you know, products that I consume? Um, and I know, you know, I know why, because, well, some things, you know, might have we might have an allergic reaction to or some things we don't like and 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 this the reality that that we that information is, was power and and allowed me to sort of democratically make it an informed choice i could choose to ignore whether the potato chips were bad for me um but at least i knew they were <laughs> right, when i right. would go even you know even as an you know as an architect that specialized in this we'd go back and try to do the same thing um, with choosing the finishes in, in your, in your space or anything. And you real, and at that time you, you didn't have that information. So design of something usually comes when you're trying to solve something you wish you had. And for me, the declare label was something that I wish I had had, um, when I started my career, it would be nice if I could go down the, the aisle, so to speak, and really understand here's everything that's in it. Here's what's bad. Here's what's good. <clears throat> and make an informed choice and for my clients. If I want to still eat the potato chips, well, at least I was warned. 
Um, so there is this sort of um, market-based approach to it um, that versus a, re- a regulatory approach that has also been, um, you know, appreciated by some. And that's why I put it out. Um, and then so it started with a napkin sketch um, and, uh, and the rest is history. What came first? So did the red list come first once you identified well, that all these toxins were out there? Yeah, the red list came first uh, in terms of what was launched. The nutrition label idea I was developing around the same time uh, in the early 2000s. Um, and working with the Healthy Building Network, I was helping Bill Walsh think through what was to become the Pharos project. And then we were supposed to do a nutrition label, so to speak, through that protocol, and that, that didn't quite happen. Um, but uh, the Red List was first in, 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 in terms of what was launched publicly um, as part of the Living Building Challenge in 2006. But it, but it was part of my grand plan <laughs> to put out a nutrition label um, shortly thereafter, which is what we did. Did you ever have any chemical companies reach out and say, hey, what the hell, man? Why is ours? This isn't, you know, who told you that our our stuff is toxic? And what's your definition of toxic? It's not the same as ours. And well, have you ever had any blowback? I, I think I I have been on the shit list of quite a few <laughs> during parts of my career. They're not inviting you to their conferences to speak? <laughs> well, um, you know. That that sort of come up. I mean, I think there were definitely parties I was not invited to, John. <laughs> um, you know, and I I you know was a little nervous for a while that I was taking on um, you know quite a few a big risk, but I wasn't alone. You know, the good thing is is there were other great people out there doing this kind of work and saying the same things, and we had. You know, it's always good to have science on your side in the end. Yeah, yeah. That nothing that we had on the red list, there was any debate. Uh, there was no real scientific debate that it was healthy. Um, and so yeah. If you start with science, you know, that's your best defense. And, uh, you know, and I was. It used to be that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. Um, yeah, you know, you have this guy, Greg Norris, helping you out back then, too, which was uh, which was a bonus. Yeah, Greg and and uh, Jack Geibig and Tom Lent. And there was a whole host of people that um, were looking at these issues. So, yeah. 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 Tell us about just organizations. Now, that's a little more recent. And my own firm is trying to get our B Corp certification. And I'm nice. looking at the just label and trying to yeah. decide if I should try to yeah. apply for that as well. Yeah, well, definitely. If you get your your B certification, you'll, do, you'll look really good in the just label. I think the just label, kind of like the declare label, is a as a nutrition label, if you will. It's a transparency platform to disclose your your practices and in this case it's how you treat your employees and and how you you know deal with a lot of these social justice issues um and i think it's incredibly important um and i create i created just uh after declare um it was um have you know sort of seen the 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 success of declares the, the idea of the power of transparency um, it occurred to me one day that, you know, we were, as an industry, we were talking a lot about social justice issues, but nobody was doing anything. You know, you'd go to these conferences and these meetings and, and people would say, yeah, we got to do something about social inequity and green buildings got to be part of it. 
and then they change the subject and move on. <laughs> and, and it just kind of bothered me that, you know, I was like, well, if no one's going to do anything about this, well, you know, what can I do? And, and that's where I was like, well, you know, transparency is really, a, is the first step. So is then allowing you know, celebrate the leaders by allowing them to showcase their practices, reward the innovators, shine a light on the bad actors. Um, that has, you know, that's a theory of change that, that, that I believe in. And so, um, I started working on the just label actually with my father, um, believe it or not, um, we, uh, at ILFI during that time, it was 2000, you know, 2009, 10, 11, we were starting to think about these things right during the recession and ILFI didn't have a lot of re resources, uh, at that time to inv invest in new programs. So my father volunteered and he and I, um, kind of in evenings and weekends, um, started writing all the requirements for the just label in the first version that came out. <laughs> I'm I'm there. That's such a great story. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it is, man. That's 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 very cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, Jason, do you, do you have a favorite child? <laughs> no. All these all these things that you've created. Anything anything stand out as your as your coup de gras? Uh, out of these kind of programs, well, I mean, probably Living Building Challenge. Um, that's the one that seeded the living product challenge, living community challenge. And we even have a, we have a draft a living food challenge out there too. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I would say that that's probably my favorite program that I've created. Uh, mm. yeah. I think the, I think mantra, the mantra behind the program is, is so resident. It's really living. If you look at the living building challenge and the living product challenge, especially I'm, I'm more, versed in the living product challenge, but it's basically saying being less bad isn't good enough anymore. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's, I mean, none of us aspire in life to be less bad, but, but why do we assume we can be less bad in all these other areas? You know, it's pretty cool. And you mentioned that in your book, it's no longer okay to be less bad. Yeah. So sure. we should plug your conference that's coming. Well, maybe not your conference anymore, but ILFI's conference is coming up in April. I'm going to attend. Coming up. <laughs> and it looks like. Virtually. Yeah. And diversity is a big topic. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, every year um, Living Future, I think, is a real opportunity for those that really are, you know, care about these issues to come together and learn from each other. It's always been, um, you know, I created Living Future to be the party that I wanted to go to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so what? You know, what? The, yeah. What's the green conference that I, you know, that I wanted to see in the industry? And so that was the curation that happened. And it's really, it's hard to believe. It's I can't remember if it's uh, fifteen years now, um, but um, it's getting up there, um, and. Um, it's it's a great event. It's been virtual this last year, and it will be again. Um, but hopefully, as we are all hoping, after that, it'll return to in person. Um, but definitely, people to get their tickets, yeah. uh, get their tickets yeah. and support uh, the conference. Hopefully, you get a discount on your registration. I don't. Jason, they give you a discount? No, I don't. <laughs> I pay. I, I pay. Uh, Damn, part of a, that's hard. Part of a fundraising contribution. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh hey, God. do you, um, I, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts, uh, you know, as we're, as we're talking about, you know, what a huge industry you took on when you decided to start making a red list. What about, what about these industries that have, you know, these lobbying groups, like you look at the Vinyl Institute, right? Literally they, they travel around, don't they? Just trying to convince people that there's, that there are times when you have to use PVC. I mean, have you ever, you know, reached out? to these lobbying groups and, and try to engage them? You know, I'm, I, I don't really bother with the lobbying groups. Um, I'm not, don't really have a lot of interest in reaching out to them. I, <laughs> I, I do work with companies that do work with redless chemicals to help them on their journey. I'm interested yeah. in companies that, um, that are doing good work and, and, uh, you know, trying to, to make change in their industry, not trying to freeze in place a, a paradigm, you know, and that's kind of the difference is that, you know, um, you know, companies want to make good products. And so currently they may make something out of PVC and over time they can evolve the the chemistry of their product and they can make different things and, and we can celebrate that. And that's why I'm, you know, I, I'm happy to help uh, manufacturers that are interested in taking a leadership position, lobbying groups by their nature are trying to fight change. Um, <laughs> and so I don't have much time for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I love how you've turned what you do into what you do is a life philosophy. And you talk about aesthetics, you talk about beauty, you talk about, um, loving life and that, that, that is the crux of, of everything. And you talk about making risotto and slowing down and, and the pleasures. And, and, uh, I, I think it's just amazing how you've, how you've turned that into, a, an incredible organization and now a, a, a continued design career. Yeah. Do you think, do, do you think that we have the same resources in the residential side of design and architecture as we do in the commercial side, Jason? No, probably not. Um, those industries, as you know, are quite different. Um, I think the average person doesn't doesn't understand that, but the construction industry for residential and commercial are very different. The way materials are procured and how you know it, it is a different animal. The, the information is available, but is it it's not necessarily curated in the same way. And, uh, you know, it's, but obviously it's a, it's a huge, there's a huge need, um, to make sure green building has always kind of been a little bit behind in the residential side. Yeah. Has, yeah. has led things. There are bigger projects, bigger budgets, more use of professionals, you know, more yeah. of the people of architects and interior designers that are up to speed on these issues. All that is, is different in residential. Um, so it's been slower to to really embrace. There's always outliers, of course. There's been real leadership by by folks in the residential side, but it's more sporadic, um, if you will. Yeah, Verda, don't you think if if you know people were building homes that were sustainable and that they were in completely ensconced in sustainability at home, then they would have higher expectations when they were in public spaces and commercial spaces. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're trying to, I think you're trying to bridge that gap a little bit, Jason, you've got some things going on to try to sort of bring the residential side of things, um, 
some curation, right? Yeah. So they've got some resources. Well, thank you. you want to talk about yeah, that? Thanks for mentioning that. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, my firm primarily does commercial work, but we occasionally do houses um, and residential work. Um, certainly my own house is a living building challenge uh, project. And, and so those examples are there. But more recently, um, I uh, launched a new e-commerce platform called Living Deep, livingdeep.com. And the idea was to basically connect the home buyer uh, to, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to better products and to help curate that experience so that we're doing some vetting so that they don't have to. Um, and they can go and, and, and shop for things for their home that, that, are, that have better environmental outcomes and better social outcomes than the typical stuff that they might find in in the, in the store, you know? Um, so, uh, that's a new venture. I'd love for people to check it out, livingdeep.com. Um, we're just getting off the ground with it and I'm hoping that it's a, a big success. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. That sounds, uh, yeah, I'm going to check it out. I didn't find that in my research. <laughs> no, it's, well, that's what we're working on next is t- getting the word out. So yeah. Out. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, I'm, all right, livingdeep.com. Got it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really I've been thinking a lot about this long term long term short term and I think a lot of residential is longer term than a lot of commercial design. And you want to buy a couch that might last you a lifetime or a an area rug that you might pass down to your next generation whereas in a commercial project, it's much more short term. And I, I would love to see manufacturing manufacturers starting to think about that life's lifespan. Cause like your liking carpet, right? How long is that product supposed to last? Well, it'll last a long time, but you're, what you're, I think you're getting at is in a right. commercial office setting, you know, fashion dictates and every seven years or some or five years or some amount of time, things are, are ripped up and thrown away, but they're still physically, fine you know that's to me that's that's a challenge that i'd love to take on a personal a passion that i'd like to take on is how do you address that hmm. a, a carpet that lasts 40 years but in reality will only live maybe like you said five or seven years in a space yep but um yeah so many so many uh projects right <laughs> yep not enough time you see why i haven't had time to get the school going <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm excited about the school. I think you need to make some time for that one for sure. I know. I'm working on it. (laughs) We'll help, right, John? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Sign me up. Volunteers. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Got two volunteers right here. We're coming to the end of our our time, Verda. Is there anything else? Is there anything you you haven't asked, Jason, that you want? Oh, maybe if you have a little glimpse into a design project that you're on the on the is on the table right now that you're excited about since that's your new focus at the moment. There's well, there's so many, I'm wondering what I should talk about. There's one that I want to talk about, but I can't for another few weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. So, uh, so I'm not going to mention that one yet or I'll get in trouble. Um, (laughs) You know, we've, we've been just the, the great part of the practice. What I'll, what I'll say is that it's been, very diverse. Um, so for example, in the South side of Chicago, we're working with a developer called Farpoint, 
uh, and SOM on a, a whole master plan for a whole new neighborhood, really, um, that is using these principles. Uh, there'll be, you know, tons of buildings and uh, it'll it's really looking at how do we live in community like this. And that's been really exciting. And so there, that's, you know, that's on one end of the spectrum of, you know, this sort of large urban planning project. Um, maybe I'll just kind of go down in scales. And then we've been helping in Seattle with the Climate Pledge Arena, which will be the greenest uh, sports venue in the world, um, carbon neutral, uh, completely powered by renewables. Um, and, uh, you know, every attendee in the in the arena um, you know, uh, all their transportation impacts will be offset, um, for, you know, that's never been done. And we're going to be banning single use plastics in the venue, um, with yeah. a couple of years after opening. So that's like, you know, this huge project, um, that we're involved with, um, on the building side. And then, you know, we've been doing you know, office projects and some housing projects, school projects. We're working on a great project right now at Western Washington University to do a net zero energy building there. That's really exciting. Um, some houses and all the way down to, I've got another carpet design on the way with Mohawk. So uh, sort of this continuum um, and, um, and working on some exciting things with HMTX as well, which um, you, you might know their company as well, doing some cool things with them. Uh, more to come on that soon. Um, yeah, so it's been really diverse. And that's one of the things I'm most excited about is from planning, a, from planning an interior product to planning a city, they all follow the same principles and the same values and, and beliefs uh, and theories of change, if you will. Um, and you're just applying them differently in different places, just like nature does. That's, yeah, very cool. Yeah, I would love to get involved in neighborhood design now that work work yeah. from home is taken off, and this idea of, yeah. of hubs and you know just reimagining a walkable neighborhood. Yeah, um, yeah. wow. Yeah, sounds like yeah. That's what they're project. doing in Paris, right? They're they're doing. Like the what I don't know what it's called, like the fifteen minute fifteen minute city. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Which is everything you need is within a fifteen minute sure. walk. I mean well, Paris is lovely. <laughs> well, Jason, it's good to know you're staying busy. Yeah, yeah we better let you get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> back to Yeah. Zoom. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for generously giving us some time today. It was really a lot of fun to catch up with you and get your thoughts on some of these things. Oh, my pleasure. And good to, good to be in touch. Good luck guys. Thank you. You as well. Good luck with living deep and we're looking forward to hearing more things from, from you. That's for sure. I'm sure you're a long way from done. I hope so. Thanks, Jason. Thanks guys. Take care. Take care. Take care.